0: to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Warhead, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Marna. Welcome on to Searching for Marna, Josh.
1: Pleasure to be here, Lloyd. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Um, Fuller introduction, Josh Bell is a general partner at Dawn Capital. Uh, Dawn Capital are a venture capital firm that provides early stage funding to mainly B2B technology companies. Previously, Dawn has invested in companies such as Izettle, Soldo, Tink, and many more. Prior to joining Dawn in 2007, Josh spent around five years in McKinsey, uh, has studied at Oxford, Harvard, and Cambridge, I believe. Uh, The triple, the triple there. Um, And so absolutely uh, a a pleasure to have you on the the show, Josh. We'll um, go through some of your background Uh, and dig into that and then also obviously what you've been doing with DAWN more recently. Just if you could start by being so kind to um, explain to the audience what DAWN Capital's mission really is.
1: Absolutely. Um, So DAWN is is, uh, across Europe, we're the largest uh, B2B, uh, specific B2B software investor. So that software which is sold to enterprise. Uh, We have over a billion dollars of investable capital, um, so where we deploy it is a series A, series B. So for companies uh who are raising first rounds of 10 to 30 million dollars, um we would lead those kind of rounds. Our first checks would typically be of the order of 15 to 20 million dollars into a company, and that would then be used for growth capital to allow the company to have the rocket fuel to sell its software across Europe, uh, expand its team, and um kind of gone on the sort of hyper growth journeys that we see a, a lot of the world's best software businesses going on. Um, over the last 13 years, since we set Dawn up, we've invested in uh, perhaps 50 companies like this across pretty much uh, 15 company, countries across Europe. Um, and that's where we draw our whole investment team from.
0: Thank you. And uh, most venture capitalists will have um, what is termed as a thesis that is the um, underlying pillars and principles um, which can guide the, the investments. Um, what, what is yours?
1: So from a kind of investment thesis point of view, we, we really focus on four areas. So there's fintech, which we'll talk about a bit more, that's actually what, what I lead on future of work, um, there's data and analytics, and there's privacy and security. So those are kind of the four large buckets or themes in which um, uh, we seek our companies to invest in across Europe. Um, and then the dynamics of companies we invest in. Um, you know, we always look for, for world-class teams, often who've done it before. Um, we look for there being an underpinning technology that's that's defensible, that gives the business a real moat around which to, um, to kind of sell its product and to defend it from sort of other competitors coming up for it. Um, We look for huge markets and markets which can be uh, quite easily tackled. Um, So, you know, these are markets which you measure in the the billions of dollars. And whilst not all of it is addressable today, they would be over time. Um, And, you know, and and also we look for the capital which we're investing into the business is capital which is going to be effectively deployed. So this isn't capital which... You know, it's going to be set aside just to be used as regulatory capital to kind of tick a box for a regulator. It's actually capital which will have a very clear ROI and it will be used as effectively growth marketing uh, in the main and, or expanding the team. But, but where we can see that will take the company up a scale journey um, to build a huge business. Thank you,
0: Josh. Why do you um, prefer to operate at the and in between the Series A, Series B um, part of the venture capital cycle?
1: Um, for us it's really where we can it's kind of the inflection point at which we can offer the most help to our companies so a lot of this game is around, is around pattern recognition we've been doing this for um, you know, nearly 15 years in a period in which certainly within, within Europe the, the VC industry has grown by 10x and we've really specialised within this area where you know, we're, we're the market leaders in, in, B2, in B2B software and we've backed the winners and we've seen what works in the winners. We've had uh, firms have multi-billion dollar exits repeatedly. And what we find is that then we have a real pattern recognition to see, well, what are the dynamics that we should be looking for in a company so that they can go on, uh, you know, the next company we invest in can go on the same journey. So it's really, you know, it's the area where we're able to um, get the kinds of returns that our investors, you know, really seek from us. And it's because we know how to do it and we, we, we've done it very well. Our first two funds that we deployed in, in 0, 07 and in 2012 are now globally within uh, the top 10% of funds each uh, by performance. So, you know, if it's working and we've worked out how to do that through our team, that's absolutely
0: where we want to focus. Well, that's impressive. So, um, if we go into the, uh, the numbers side of that, um, if, if you don't mind, I mean, it can be, it can be, it can be goalposts. Um, how has that ranked in uh, the top ten um, funds globally in that particular space? What type of metrics um, have you had with that successful fund?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this is data which you have from Cambridge Associates, who are one of the world's largest investors. They're a fund of funds who invest kind of across the whole industry, um, and what they see is. Uh, you know, you take the size of the fund and then you, you, your key metric, which everyone ultimately cares about, is your, is your um, uh, distributed uh, return on investment, the DPI. So that's like, well, if you have a $100 million fund um, and $500 million is returned, that's a five times DPI. That's actually what is the money that's going back into your investors' pockets. Yeah. And on a DPI basis, I mean, we're looking at Certainly, our first fund and our second fund, both being being in DPIs of excess of six, maybe seven or eight x actually for the second fund. So that on a, on a real kind of nuts and bolts basis is for a hundred dollars coming in, that's six, yeah. seven hundred dollars coming back on a gross basis, kind of before the whatever well, fees and so on. But that's coming back to our investors over you know a seven, eight, nine year time frame. Um, so that ranks us. You know, at that very, very top kind of decile, it might be the top five percent ultimately
0: of funds globally. That's amazing. Um, everybody can uh, relate to how healthy those returns are. But the the, the awesome thing is that um, you know that that has done some good, right? That has enabled um, some businesses at a point where there was the potential to inflect into a serious concern. To do so, perhaps you could. Um, Talk to us about uh, one of those portfolio companies' journeys.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, if we take as an example, a company I was I was on the board of and, and worked a lot with the journey with Izettle, which um, many many of your podcast listeners, viewers will know. It was uh, mobile mobile payments. It enabled kind of uh, coffee shops, market traders, and so on to actually be able to take payments um, digitally via cards and so on. Came out of Sweden, reinvested, it was called the Series C, which was um, uh, a little later than we normally invest. It was kind of around where $50 million was being raised, and that was growth capital. And what that round, which, which we prized and led, enabled the company to do was to expand into a lot of new markets, particularly kind of Southern Europe and and into Brazil and Mexico and so on. And they had discovered the right formula in Sweden for or in the Nordics, actually, for how to reach you know, these specific verticals of customers and exactly the product those customers wanted. And so what our capital was used for was for just doubling down country by country to make it the fastest growing and the largest mobile payments player um, outside the U.S. The U.S. was dominated by a player called Square. They never came to Europe. We didn't go to the U.S., Um, But because of that growth that kind of came through there, we ended up leading two funding rounds. Because of the growth of the business, we were actually able to sell it to PayPal uh, for a bit over two billion dollars two years ago. That was a massively exciting journey. Um, And from the point at which we invested, you know, there was kind of one hundred and fifty team members, and then there's well over a thousand at the point of exit. So you can also see, um, you know, behind the enterprise value kind of being created, but actually, kind of real jobs. Across many countries, yeah, which existed, which didn't exist before,
0: yeah. Yeah, the the their competitor, Square, led by um, Jack Dorsey, is uh, is investing quite quite heavily in in the uh, Bitcoin at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> He's very uh, very entrepreneurial, Jack. Um, yeah, the founder of Twitter uh, as well. So if we if we relate that to your experience, Josh, um, what year sorry was that that you did this this the series C at IZ? uh Twenty
1: fourteen.
0: So by that point, you'd had um, four-ish years since founding Dawn Capital.
1: Yeah, a a little more, actually. Um, So our first fund kicked off in 07. So uh, was for our second fund, it was a, a relatively late investment in the life cycle of the fund. But actually, because it was quite a quick exit, it only took four years, we ended up, that exit returned the whole of the fund just from only deploying one-tenth of the fund's capital, it at a 10x. So we were able to repay the whole fund back to investors. Um, so, yeah, so, and, you know, those, those early years kind of pre-ISX, I mean, we had a, a couple of other fantastic businesses, but also, you know, uh, there were also lessons along the way. And, you know, a lot of this is learning experience where, yeah. you know, we make mistakes, we invest in the wrong sectors and, 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 and we learn what the right recipe is.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and, and and I'm really keen to go to to go into that. Um, but just to finish on th- this point, which which brings us quite nicely to what you're up to now, so the audience understands. Um, you know, I think we understand what 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 Dawn Capital is successfully doing, but also what your involvement in it is. You you are like an tool, sat on a number of boards, um, and I'm keen to understand what it is that you gravitate towards doing. Um, uh, and then we can come to the, the day-to-day running of Dawn Cattle and how you go about picking your um, your investments and, and helping the portfolio businesses. So, what what are you at the moment? What's the um, what's the kind of scale of the boards that you're on, the boards that you're helping, and what you're doing with them specifically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so typically when we invest a in Series A, B, C, we'll always take uh, we'll always take a board seat. To, to really yep. ensure that we can kind of guide our investment and help out where best we can. And also, I guess, know where not to help out. Um, but there are certain areas where you know we can bring a lot of value, in, and that's whether it be kind of working out how to hire senior talent. And we have a lot of work internally where we have a platform lead and so on within Dawn who can help work out what the best series A, B, C companies are doing at that stage. Uh, we can help with, you know, setting out the the strategy, the three year, five year strategy to exit, so to ensure that the company, from where it is, at Series A or B, can actually see a, uh, you know, how do we achieve a ten x return or a fifteen x return off the valuation in which we invest? What what do you need to see in terms of kind of common metrics, whether it be um, the return on investment, the, the the customer acquisition costs, the payback? What do we need to see, and how do we map that out and ensure the company can achieve those? We work a lot on the corporate finance side. So, you know, working out what are potential exits for the business. Are this ultimately going to be a public listing, a trade sale? How do we optimize for that? And also, along the way, what are the financing kind of stepping stones? The Series D, the Series E. Who are the best partners to bring in for that? And we have a lot of relationships with other funds, particularly later growth funds. Yeah. You know, we bring into these kind of deals. So, you know, there's a huge amount we do both kind of at the you know the board meetings tend to be every six or eight weeks but also in between that kind of daily conversations with our founders really to work out where we can help
0: yeah and um you know we're uh we're right at the end of february um in 2021 which um is at the end of a, a very um crazy stressful period of time with um with the pandemic um and this has um, this has done a few things, hasn't it? Um, such as um, increased the distribution of um, digital products uh, in some instances, if suitable. Um, has distributed workforces where they're not in the same space, um, and uh, for some people, has you know ca- caused um, an awful lot of stress, and, and obviously there's health issues as well. So you're abreast of many different individuals with uh, a lot of weight on their shoulders um, at this point where they're they're, they're scaling businesses. Um, What have you seen and how have you been supporting them through this period of time? So
1: it's obviously been extraordinarily challenging
0: for certainly
1: for our firm, but also for many companies we invest in where you have uh, remote working brings on a personal level, just a lot of challenges, you know, the the isolation, working at home, not having the human interactions and so on, which um uh which which I, I I don't think any firm has really been able to escape. Um, you know, within Dawn and for our portfolio companies, we're looking at different ways in which we can we can try to mitigate that. What are ways in which we can bring the team together um, in virtual ways, ensure that they have the support they need. And you know. Learnings from that which we can also kind of take forward to our portfolio companies but we can't get away from it's been i'd say the toughest time certainly that you know i've known in 20 years of working of actually what a working life is like entirely separate to that there are um there are degrees of resilience which companies have around the pandemic so certainly in certain sectors and where, where we're uh, where we're investing, elements of software and so on actually haven't missed a beat with COVID because you know the, the move to digitization, the, the commercial case for distributed teams and uh, the need for software which is sold globally and is independent of where physical locations are, has never been greater. So you can have this slight this sort of dichotomy between working environments of teams are harder and that needs to be really looked after, whereas the companies can actually be doing perhaps better than ever, in this digitized environment.
0: Yeah, um, that makes complete sense. Um, And so you mentioned um, something that uh, I'm, of course, very interested in, which is uh, a a part of uh, the value that you can bring to portfolio businesses, uh, amongst many other things, is um, senior strategic hires. Um, So, of course, I I run a a, a small boutique search business where we're mainly focused uh, within the fintech space. Uh, which is similar to the, the area that um, you ha- have and do invest in. Um, I wonder what your view is on a few things. So um, diversity of those type of teams, what, what um, there's obviously um, lots of headlines about this. And uh, it's something that, you know, I'm looking at the whole time. Um, how are you seeing that? It mainly your portfolio is Europe, is that right?
1: A lot of the companies do have large U.S. presences, but essentially at the point of investment, we invest in European businesses.
0: So I think mainly our audience for the, the show's audience and interested in fintech, um, and you're in the B2B space, which I, 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 I think is one of the most challenging spaces um, for diversity, for inclusion. What, what, what are you doing? What are you seeing?
1: Um, well, so, you know, if, I, if I start with Dawn, which is obviously... a a company which we run, um, you know, we're a majority women business, um, both at you know across the whole of Dawn, also within the investment team. Other than you know the three of us who set the firm up, even as investors, it's majority women, and you know that is uh, something we're incredibly proud of. But has just been dictated by these are simply you know the best people we have to work with, and you know we're delighted the first uh, person we made. In, to a partner uh, from the new team, is Evgenia, who um, who absolutely is you know without a doubt one of the finest investors in Europe. Um, within the team, we have been um, leading on a, a whole range of diversity initiatives, which we both feed at team level to work out what are the whole range of benefits which we should be offering as we look for kind of a. Uh, uh, from a, a future of you know, what are the areas of diversity where we really need to not be responding to events, but actually just being a market leading firm, and how can we share that with our broader companies which we invest in? Yeah, new uh, director of talent, Avalon, um, and a large part of what she's doing is really trying to get under the skin of what are these initiatives, how best can we take them forward, so that you know, diversity is is always something which we which we live and breathe. But you know, you can see that from our fund. You can just see that by looking at our homepage and just seeing the, the nature of. Of who our team members are Um, and sometimes we see you know across the rest of the industry there's a lot of talk but actually if you look behind you know what's going on behind a public initiative it's not really reflected in, in actually who the team is or who
0: they're hiring yeah I'm I'm seeing um I'm seeing very positive waves of a lot more individuals having this um not just at the top of their, their public agenda, but you know, genuinely behind the scenes, when we're supporting them with building out teams, um, them desperately trying everything. But um, it's it's going to just take um constant monumental effort of um of of uh, several different um several different elements that the culture needs to um appreciate. So it's it's not easy, but you know, starting. With your own firm is a really healthy place, and uh, congratulations on uh, the success at Dawn, but also having um, having the makeup that you do. In terms of um, with um, with headhunting, um, I'm trying to set up. Uh, by the way, I haven't really talked about this on 50 shows, but but I will with you. Um, <laughs> trying to set up, uh, you know, a challenger search business and really emulate what um, the banks have been doing. Uh, in the fintech space where they're basically putting their hand up and saying it's not great overall as a sector there is um, uh, some things that could be got better there's also some things that are, are possibly fine and over a very long period of time several years plus um, try and create a search business that really adds value and 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 the things that it would appear high growth businesses um, need value with are actually quite They're quite kind of almost McKinsey sentiment elements of consulting. It's not getting bums on seats. Good, good fintech brands can attract through advertising methods, um, talent, but it's the strategic hires and making sure that they're just right for the mission and the culture, which actually takes a huge effort of work. And and there's some technology that we've developed, but um, that's just, that's just my view, Josh, because I've come from the space and I'm trying to think how to use my experience and, um, make it better and capitalize on it. What's your view? Do you think that headhunting will be um, a, a redundant um, space as we move forward? Do you think there's things that are important that it proves on actually? Do you think it's just fine? I think headhunting, like like many industries, which
1: you know we've seen over the last twenty years, will will kind of cleave into. Um, Bespoke, very tailored solutions, which uh, which need that kind of human knowledge and understanding and intervention. Um, so there's, you know, it's like boutique investment banking. Um, there will always be a be room for that side of the business that has kind of very high human touch, and then yep. the large part of it, I think, will be heavily commoditized, driven kind of by by LinkedIn and and um, the nature of roles which are being filled and, and how people are applying for roles. I think uh, a lot of that side of it will, 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 be commoditized. But I think for the boutique side,
0: um, certainly that personal touch, will mean, it's always there. Yeah. And um, therefore it might look much more like the makeup of a dawn capital where there's very few people, but people with extensive experience and expertise um, and then just being enabled um, basically, using and APIing into a bunch of the technology, which I think will completely disrupt the volume part of the market, as we've seen with LinkedIn. Um,
1: and you'll see that with a, it's just a journey that a lot of a lot of sectors have gone down, you know, including yeah. ours. Um, but it ends up with a better product for the end customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I I agree. And 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 in venture capital. Um, do, do you think the model uh, this this of course is a generic question so I'll try and be specific, but do you think the mod the model can improve because um you know that there, there there is a a method of investing in a number of businesses and of course a number don't go well, but if one or two break out and do really well, the fund overall um returns a profit right or breaks even and then returns a returns a profit a baseline expectations and then good expectations you know how, how, how could venture capital and how do you hope that both dawn capital but the space um also over the next several 10 years becomes as as good as it can
1: <laughs> you mean how how does the sector evolve or individual firms?
0: well so so as we kind of uh making, um, Assumptions about how headhunting might become more boutique to have the heavy, high person touch, but actually there'll be technology um, brokering people probably on the more volume end of the market. Could venture capital start doing something similar and therefore make ratio-wise the money that it puts to work more productive? Not saying Dawn Capitals hasn't been. It sounds like it has been, but generically.
1: No, no, no. Certainly, you know, we're we're always looking at ways to expand our own toolkit as to how we do this. So we, we have um, uh, internal software, which is able to, for example, scan all companies across Europe at various stages of, you know, when they, when they last uh, to venture capital, from who, what are their team sizes and so on. And you see uh, very large data sets of thousands of companies across Europe. And what this software, which we built in-house, enables us to do, is to then see what filters up, what bubbles up as like the best prospect companies. And those are the ones which we then place the human touch and reaching out to. So there's absolutely, there's enormous room to go from there being, you know, a data set of 10,000, which is quite hard to manage with a team of 15 people down to one of the 300 that we should really be drilling into. Um, This kind of bespoke software wouldn't have been built 10, 15 years ago. But you see a number of the leading firms all all, all doing the same now where we're uh, building this from scratch and it was delivering a lot of results kind of throwing out companies that we wouldn't otherwise be seeing as opportunities
0: that's amazing and i think a good point for us to to go back through um an earlier part in your career because i assume you've been um heavily involved in um in in helping that software become um as proficient as it has and might make sense if we understand some of your background and education. So, um, what would, what would be Josh, the, the, the first moment really, if you, if you reflect that you started thinking about what type of career you might want?
1: Uh, I did consultancy management consultancy after university, because it's a great toolkit. You learn in a really accelerated way how to work with a lot of companies on kind of key strategic questions. Um, and you also, you know, you take ownership early and quickly with these companies, uh, in terms of with in terms of the work you're doing and present to senior people. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to have uh, five years at McKinsey, as you said, in which I just learned a huge amount. Yeah. And that just gave a really good springboard, you know, for me
0: and for a lot of my peers to kind of go and work in, in many other industries because but you're if if we even go sorry to cut in, but if we even go before that, um, you know, had a you had an excellent education. Um, from, from what I can see on paper um, good institutes um, good. I, I think maths right maths at uh, Oxford is that correct what, what, were you th- what were you thinking then Josh or you just at that point uh, enjoyed the subject thought it was a good subject for you to take
1: yeah it's not really more complicated than that I mean I would have done that or maybe economics um, I I I wanted. Well, I applied to Oxford. I wanted to go there. You can't do straight economics there, so I went for math. That's kind of. It wasn't more complicated than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then when you took, and then when you took McKinsey, um, as you say, it's you. You were just um, strategically thinking. Well, you know, let's get stuck in. This will give me a good toolkit. Of course, it has a prestige about it. Yeah.
1: You know. I mean, I could have done. If I was going to go into that sort of that world, you, 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 there's. There are some great consulting firms. McKinsey is one of them. There are some very good investment banks. I I wanted to have have sort of a broader career, perhaps, and banking would start me off on. Um, I mean, that that was essentially it. Though I didn't want to do a specific professional qualification, you know, become yeah. a lawyer and so on. Um, so, and I felt McKinsey I, would allow me to defer a difficult decision.
0: Yeah, I asked I asked the question because. Um, there's a real weight of people in their early 20s, for wherever they're reading this advice, um, assuming that the people who then go and have uh, what looks like a successful career, which you certainly have, um, knew what they were up to the whole time. And actually, you know, we're way over the 70% here where asked that question, you know, people have just gone to the next step and got experience and then at some point, um, connect with what they're doing. I just think that that's a really important message or people put too much stress on, um, right, this year, I must find my life's quest. And the whole point of searching for mana is, you know, everybody's running different races. Um, and, uh, you know, just because a Zuckerberg has gone and knocked it out of the park at 22, it doesn't mean that, you know, somebody else is going to do that. Um I, I would just want to ask one cheeky question, because in, in, the, in the FT this week, uh, there's actually an article saying, um, that they think you know, McKinsey is not so great. And uh, you're obviously there in a different era. But um, but, but questioning really the, the, uh, the benefit that business has at all, any value, um, I wonder what your view on that is. A business is
1: often not more than kind of the sum of the people you work with and the institutional knowledge and, and training that comes with it. At McKinsey, I had um, the opportunity to be taught and mentored by amazing people. There was a fantastic client base that we worked with. Um, and many of those people I still work with in different capacities today and I'm still friends with. And I I wouldn't swap it for anything. I can't speak to whether McKinsey's different now. Um, but certainly as a, you know, five-year opportunity to train in in kind of how capitalism works i i couldn't think of anywhere
0: better Yep. okay and um so then you have spent five years there you've had good experience learn a lot built your network and then what happens after that josh so my um
1: my fellow partners here hawken and norman we um this was of late 06, early 07, um, I spent some time with them talking about the opportunity to raise what would be our first fund. Um, It was a very attractive opportunity in a lot of ways compared to, um, you know, to be able to sit on the principal side of the table. to doing kind of where i with McKinsey where often you do relatively short projects or you know you're in and out with, with clients you're solving interesting problems but you know you might not be there for more than three four five months whereas kind of coming to venture capital side that might be sort of an A9 10-year journey working with these companies um, and really being able to kind of get into, under the skin of that journey and seeing a company go grow 20x from the point at which we invest so it just felt like having got what i you know got got a huge amount from mckinsey i love the idea of being able to switch to the principal side of the table and then also at the same time as that being able to kind of build a business from scratch which was dawn itself and raising the first dawn fund um it it was a great opportunity and i'm very close to to my partners hawken and norman we're you know godfathers to each other's children etc we have nine daughters so far, by the way, on the diversity front. So I think it's <laughs> 90% strike rate uh, against uh, girls v boys. But, um, sorry, I meant to say that earlier. But, the, you know, coming together with those guys, it just felt like a, um, for me, as a bit of younger, just an opportunity to to try something different. It might not work. I mean, we might not have raised our first time We might not have been able to pull together in the correct way, the skill set to do what we did. But it all came together. And, um
0: yeah, that's an enormous testament to those. Do you, do you, think, um, do you think? the ha- Yeah. Do you think the hardest thing was raising that first amount of money and the trust that you had to implore in those uh, individuals to give you that at that stage?
1: Um, certainly. I mean, so much of how fund of funds invest into venture capital funds is often once they're in fund. Once the fund of funds in a venture capital fund, even if that fund, the venture capital fund is not performing, um, often there'll be check after check after check that still goes in that direction because it's sort of easier to stick with what you stick with. So being able to unlock, you know, establish a first fund and bring together a pool of investors is incredibly hard, and you know we were able to do that uh, in a year, heavily reliant on you know the successes which my partners had had in the past. Um, and we were able to bring together Dawn One, and then out of Dawn One we had a Mimecast, which uh, which we led the series A on, which ended up being uh, it's now a three billion dollar, three and a half billion dollar public company. We held. Sorry, up-
0: sorry Josh, you said um, because of the the success your partners had, had. So your your partners had a track record in investing at that stage.
1: Yes. Uh, so Norman had um, been uh, the the manager of, of of the Reuters Venture Capital kind of corporate. Yep corporate venture capital fund. And he and uh, two of his partners actually bought the whole fund and all the assets. And so he had had kind of a decade of experience in, in venture capital um, as an owner of a fund. And Hawken had uh, co-founded Self Trade, which was a precursor to sort of Robin Hood, which he and uh, his colleagues had sold, had IPO'd and sold for a billion euros, I think, uh, at the time to high profile for, for Bank. So they'd had, you know, certainly stronger Backgrounds than I did, um, but you know we'd never done a fund together, so we kind of came together to raise that first fund, and and they were really able to unlock a lot of those uh, key investment relationships. And now so, we're nearly fifteen years on.
0: So when when you look at um, the most successful traits in a founding team, um, which you talked to a little bit at the beginning. Um, if it's something that requires, I suppose, the trust of a few people's high-level discretion, like, um, like venture capital does, then it's, it's really useful to have people with a background. So guys who are trying to set up a fund and they're, they're, they're incredibly bright and perhaps they've got the formulas, to try and get their first fund is going to be really hard, right? So you've got to create a really small record and it might take a little bit lo- longer. What you did there was, was um, was a good example of a combination of, of um, experienced people who saw eye to eye, you know, bright new um, kind of fresh eyes to the challenge as well, and that's much like with the search business, to try and get a business to give you their, you know, Cxo roles uh, when it's one of the most important things to them, um, you know, that might be the, the person that they're planning on having run the business. Is just so hard. No, I don't think it's as hard as raising a fund at all, because that's a big chunk of money. But um, nonetheless, it's a, it's a similar type of thing. And so you've got to you've got to combine having enough kind of fresh perspective to the challenge, or you will just end up being another search business. But you have to get the right type of individuals who um, have been incumbents but are innovative. And and that's I've personally found that really challenging. It's been about a three-year journey. Until I could find um, a couple of partners who looked at things with fresh eyes, weren't set in their ways, like this is how I've been successful for 20 years. But um, having them on board has been incredibly useful to form relationships. So um, I can really understand that. Now, in the B two B fintech space, that is that is that also what you're looking for? Because quite a lot of the time, you know, founders in that space, like if we were to look at Plaid, for example, as a big Big, big case study. Um, you know, these guys are in their twenties. They're excellent coders. They're looking completely fresh at uh, infrastructure f- solution there, for instance. Um, and then I suppose I want to know how you have the confidence to back these guys, and is part of what you're doing supporting them with people with the experience, but like you say, kind of from a hands-off perspective. <sighs>
1: I think, as, as you described, you know, you coming together, your two partners, and my journey as well, the sum has to be a lot greater than the individual parts. So, for it to really make it work, you need to, you know, you need to bring on people for whom it's not just kind of the marginal gain is actually just what they bring, but also they add something to the overall recipe that simply makes it work. Um, and we were fortunate enough in having that between the three of us where. There was, you know, we were all able between us to bring either different investor relationships or find those first great companies and so on. Um, and it just worked so much better than if we'd all been kind of sole traders. I think that is emblematic of, you know, certainly perhaps how, you know, for Manor Search, when you're kind of thinking through bringing new people, it's not just, you know, their pre-existing clients that they can bring along or or well, when you're hiring into a CXO role for a company, it's not just a skill set that, you know, the new team member she can bring from what she was doing before. It's actually, well, how does it really create value at a much higher level, separate just to what her CV acts? Yeah. And often you kind of don't know it till you see it, and then when you see it, it was always obvious in hindsight.
0: Thank you. Um, so I wanted to now just um, move to looking at really, uh, I think we've understood um, Dawn Capital, up to date, um, to a degree, we we understand um, your journey. And then, um, looking looking at the landscape now and looking forward, how are you um, expecting investments in fintech across Europe um, to look across two thousand and twenty one?
1: Sure. Um, so right now, the market's
0: incredibly hot. Um,
1: we're seeing valuations and, and valuation multiples relative to kind of revenues and so on at levels, which we've just never seen before. Um, what that means is there's a huge amount of new money coming in. I think we're seeing today in an hour yesterday an announcement from Klarna, you know, the buy now, pay later guys out of Sweden, that, excuse me, they just raised billion a billion dollars at a $30 billion valuation or $31 billion. Um, these are just kind of huge numbers off the back of you know, uh, high growth, but still kind of not small base, but like medium-sized bases, which valuations a few years ago would have been maybe 4 or $5 billion for these companies. So we're seeing um, checks coming in and valuations larger than we've ever seen before. Yep, We're seeing strategic companies, so the banks and so on, certainly like we have with Tink, you know, you have, it's not just traditional institutional investors like Dawn who want to come along. It's, uh, It's all of the potential partners and clients that you have, as a uh, software provider, they also want to get onto your cap table, and we're seeing that now where um, our certainly our fintech companies, but broad, you know more broadly our software companies are finding it easier to raise money now. Um, certainly, without even needing to go to market than it's ever been before. You just get term sheets getting sent to you. So you know, so that's that's great. We just need to you know use that use those funds wisely and ensure that these valuations aren't so ungrounded that they cause challenges further down the line.
0: Yes, yeah. And um, within, um, within the FinTech space, how do you, um, how do you cut it up? And um, once you've done that, is there a particular part or two that you're most interested in, Josh?
1: The way we, we cut our investing up is via, um, we invest across B2B, But within B2B, you have like the larger enterprises, and then you have the kind of more SME nano merchants and so on. Those are kind of merchants who have like from one employee up to sort of 50 or so. With iZettle, we obviously did enormously well on the SME end of the market. So selling to individual sole traders, small companies, selling the mobile payments devices. We found the unit economics there were, were as if you're selling to larger enterprises, but the virality, so the way the product spreads is as if you're selling to consumers. It's a real sweet spot. And what we've done since then is a recently, more recently a company called Soldo, which is in expense yep. management, similar thing where you're selling to those kind of um, relatively small businesses, you know, 10 to 50 FTEs using your cards, yep. but you get fantastic unit economics um, and virality of the product, so we 're certainly very much looking in that space, and then separately um you know we really like to see network effects underpinning our business so on more on the uh, as you were mentioning earlier, kind of on the infrastructure side, so Tink, which is you know European company I'm on the board, obviously leading player in open banking it's a parallel to plaid you just mentioned in the u s yeah. you know for tink it 's uh really being able to own the relationships and then effectively the plugins with all the banks across Europe for the data. Once you have that, you can't, you know, it's very hard for, for challenges to come up because, you know, the value of the network that you built is, is in proportion to um, actually how many of the banking relationships you have. So those are two really exciting areas for us at the moment.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Seeing that, um, talking to Tink myself. Um, so done a little bit, little bit of, uh, networking research and um, a really exciting business. Um, that space is exciting. There's several businesses that have got a head of steam in there. Um, do do you think that um, there can be several, or does one win?
1: I think. I. I think there will be, within infrastructure, there will be kind of specific point solutions, where you might have individual firms winning. But then the overall infrastructure player, I think, like in the US, where Plaid has effectively won, I think there'll be one winner in Europe. I think there'll be Tink. Um, Pretty sure that'll be Tink, given the scale of it versus kind of some of its other competitors. But then some of the other competitors are are really targeting kind of more narrow point solutions, addressing credit referencing and so on, rather than, you know, the broader
0: consumer picture, which Tink is tackling. Thank you. Um, Okay. All right. Um... I think um, coming coming to like the last the last couple of questions, um, so we've t- we've taken a fair amount of your your time, Josh. Um, I wanted to understand how you're looking at um, Europe within Europe and what parts of that um, you, you you finding exciting. I was reading that, um, and and you you mentioned the the region twice, kind of the Nordic area. Um, you you consider akin to being Europe's version of Silicon Valley. Why? Why is that?
1: I, I wrote something recently, actually. on well, Sweden specifically, where you know we invested in Izettle and Tink, and you've also you've got you got Klarna, Spotify, all these kind of companies. Yep. There's something about the dynamics of um, you know the, the banking and financial institution system is is very forward looking. They um, are very into kind of investing in their companies, collaborations, partnerships. You have. At a governmental level, um, uh, the government's driving forward some really uh, dynamic programs around kind of the cashless society by twenty twenty three and so on, which really help businesses like Izettle get its own traction. And then you have this sort of flywheel effect of you know these companies are having successful exits like Izettle and Spotify listing um, in New York and so on, and that's reintroducing a lot of money and people back into the local ecosystem. So Sweden and Stockholm are sort of unique in that even though you know you have these homebred companies, homegrown companies, which are very successful globally, but actually the people who kind of build them up and develop them and so on, they really still want to stay in Sweden afterwards. And so they do very well financially, but then use those resources to carry on investing in the next generation of Swedish companies. Um, plus you get all the the more straightforward stuff like um its education system, its ability to speak English, to be honest, and so on, just make it very fervent ground for building great tech companies. So, so if, um,
0: with, with, uh, with the search business I've got, I feel it's important to be in um, certain territories. Uh, we're, we're mainly in, um, well, we, we are based in the UK, there's a couple of people remotely in poland and a few other places but i'm thinking where should we have a physical presence if that's still even a thing but let's just assume it is um i would go to sweden um where else would i go in europe in terms of kind of a hubs of exciting
1: tech companies yeah uh, specifically fintech specifically fintech
0: high growth businesses that are series a um through to series d represent Brilliant clients for us. You're obviously already in London.
1: <laughs> in London is, you know, the preeminent fintech hub. I then put Stockholm alongside that. And then certainly within Germany. I mean, it might be yeah. kind of multi-city, but Germany has a huge number of exciting um, series A and series B fintech companies coming out of the pipe. Um, and then we started to see some really interesting ones coming out of Spain and one in one or two in Portugal. They also have have d- dynamics. So... Um, but you know, if you guys don't have a local presence in Germany, I'd absolutely point you in that direction as well.
0: Yeah, it's a, a company that um, I um, I set up 10 years ago, which was focused on data analytics. The, the first place that we went to was Frankfurt, uh, and then we went to Berlin. And so I, I've, I've certainly got my eye on there. I'm looking in Eastern Europe as well um, at the moment. And I think the ecosystem hasn't had um, success stories of businesses coming out and then IPOing yet. When that happens, it will help. But... I, I'm trying to watch those kind of Series A businesses, and there's been a couple on the show. Are, are you looking um, at Eastern Europe as well?
1: Absolutely. Um, we have some investments there already. I mean, you you know, you only need to look at UiPath, which is sadly yep. not within our portfolio, but is the um, I think it's a top valued uh, European startup now at 35 billion dollars ahead of Spotify. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's out of um, Romania, uh, and so kind of. Around that you you have a a huge hub of interesting companies. So yeah, we're uh Mina, who's one of our principals, she's uh, originally from Bulgaria, she knows that market very well. Um so
0: we're hugely excited to invest around that. So so Josh, um you, you said when I asked you when when was the um when was the moment that you first thought what it, it was you wanted to do? Uh and, and you said you're still thinking. <laughs> you know, um it sounds like it's gone really well uh, and and you're doing really exciting stuff with john Capital. what 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 do you hope for for your career moving forward
1: just to carry on working with interesting companies and great founders um it's enormously rewarding i uh, i couldn't have asked for more so and also you know I, I love the team here we were able to to get some some terrific people working here um so helping to build these fantastic companies which employ thousands of people there's nothing more i'd want
0: to do and um last question we see the show is searching for mana and um mana is um us trying to you know describe what somebody's uh, magic or essence is or might be what would you say looking over the arc of your career um josh your mana has been
1: I don't know if it's mana. I, I love drawing energy from other people. So spending time with people and kind of working out what works. Um, I, I, I take a lot of pleasure in that.
0: that that's actually very close to what, um, what it exactly means. So it's <laughs> that's, a, that's a great mana to have, Josh. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. Love what um, you and Dawn Capital are up to, and I wish you all the success moving forward. Lloyd, thanks so much. It's been terrific. Pleasure.